Well, good morning. It's great to see you all. It's great to be together. I'm excited to be able to speak with you this morning. Um, for those of you that don't know, my name is Jeff. I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm excited to be starting a new series that's going to take us over the next four weeks um, called Living Greatly. So before we get into that, I'm just going to pray. So Father in heaven, we come to you this morning, and we're all in this large group. We're coming to you um, from very different places. Some of us have been excited this week. Some of us have heard great news and are excited about what's going on in life. Others of us are disappointed, feeling hopeless, feeling like um, nothing is going right. Some of us are healthy and happy. Some of us are struggling with our health and physical pain and mental pain. And so we come to you with the confidence that you know us, that you know us better than we know ourselves. You see us, and you know exactly what we need to hear. You know exactly what you need to do in us to, to see rightly. So would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us hearts to respond this morning? Would you soften our hearts? And Father, would you not leave us where we are this morning, but would you take us to the next place for us. We need you for that. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're starting a series, like I said, called Living Greatly. And the reason it's called Living Greatly is because we're going to be looking at two uh, teachings of Jesus that have, that have been called great. One of them is found in uh, Matthew chapter 22. It's known as the Great Commandment. And the other one is found in Matthew chapter 28, which is known as the Great Commission. And uh, as we look at these passages and as we think about um, how it is that Jesus would have us live our faith in him out in this world, uh, we also want to be highlighting actually some of our ministry uh, and partnerships that uh, deal with and serve people outside of our community. And so this morning... Um, I want to announce something that we're starting again this year. That's our third year doing it. Um, it's called the Christmas Giving Project. And if you're new here this morning or new to Cornerstone, um, Cornerstone has been really involved in the country of Burundi uh, for at least 15 years, I would say. Um, uh, we've been really connected there. We currently support a family that's living on the ground there, the Heberts. Uh, we are connected to a church there that is helping plant other churches, and we have long supported a, a Burundian-led organization called Harvest Initiatives uh, for a very long time. Burundi is not a very well-known country. Probably some of you are hearing this name for the first time this morning. Burundi is uh, the most densely populated country in Africa. It is the uh, it's been called the hungriest, the unhappiest, depending on the year. It's the poorest nation in the world. And um, this organization that uh, we've partnered with for many years has been just a light and a beacon of hope in a, in a country that is, uh, has a lot of despair. Many, uh, Burundi shares a lot of the same demographics as its neighbor to the north, Rwanda, um, and many of the ethnic tensions and conflict that took place primarily in 1993 in the Rwanda genocide took place in, in Burundi as well. Um, it's just 
it just didn't get as much media attention, so it's not as well known. But there's, it's got a history of violence, and um, if you know anything about the genocide, it was primarily two groups, the Hutus and the Tutsis. Um, in Burundi, there is a third people group called the, the Batwa people, and um, they're the most marginalized and the poorest people in one of the most marginalized poor countries in the world. And uh, we've been grateful and thankful enough to, to be able to be a part of serving uh, this people group through this Burundian-led organization called Harvest. So um, Cornerstone has done a lot of stuff over there. Many of you have been over there. Um, we've helped build medical clinics. Uh, we've helped build schools. Uh, there's, we've uh, been a part of agricultural programs, farming practices, um, built uh, new homes for people there. And so there's been a lot of great work done. And specifically, um, what's taking off right now is the work of a school there. And it's, it's got a new name. It's called Karubabi uh, Harvest School. It's in the, the village area of Karubabi in the province of Moramvia. And uh, about three years ago, we, we had the idea to, to see if, if there's, at Christmas time, we thought, is there something, is there a need you're facing, a problem you're having that if we were to raise a bit of money, over Christmas time, is there something that we could just we could help alleviate that problem? We could solve that issue for you. And so two two years ago, we did this, and they were needing um, uniforms and backpacks for the kids because that's that's sort of standard practice in Burundi. And and so they we, we were able to do that. We raised just over thirteen thousand dollars to to buy uniforms. Last year, um, they were building a library, and so we wanted to help fill the library with with good quality French um, curriculum books. And um, we were able to do that, and on top of that, buy some um, new stuff for their uh, kindergarten class. And so this year, we asked them again, is there something that we can help you with? Is there a need you're facing? And uh, they said, um, the kids are walked so far to come to school, and because Burundi's basically right on the equator, it gets dark very early consistently. And uh, by the time they get home, it's dark. And there's very little access to electricity. And so the only way to see is by fire or kerosene lamp. And so both of those things are unhealthy and dangerous. And so they said if there is some other way we could have light at home so that we can read when we're at home, we can do schoolwork when we're at home, that would just that would be a huge um, problem solver for us. So um, talking to them, there's some really great solar lamps that exist. They're charged by the sun, and they give light all night. And um, that would just be a, would just be it's a low maintenance, low cost thing that we could provide. So our goal this year is to uh, provide solar lamps for every student, and so they'd be kept at the school, and the kids would be able to take them home uh, each night. And so um, Deanna's just uh, talking to Deanna Hebert. Um, she said this would just be a, it would be awesome if we could have this. So um, we actually have a video that I want to show you. That, um, that was made this past year um, when Matt and Kevin went there in January and took some footage. So this is going to give you an, a better idea of the school and some of the work going on there. So we'll show that video now. Notre vision est que tous les élèves parlent l'amour de Christ 
sans considération de leur groupe ethnique ou de leur groupe social ou économique, puissent bénéficier d'une éducation de qualité. Ben, C'était euh, pendant une campagne d'évangélisation ici à Mohanga que Moisson a rencontré un groupe de gens qui étaient démunis, défavorisés. Et en discutant à, avec eux, Moisson a pensé à une école parce que les gens disaient que euh, leurs enfants ne peuvent pas aller à l'école parce qu'ailleurs ils étaient méprisés, négligés, mais aussi ils n'étaient pas acceptés nulle part. So it's a it's a powerful uh, experience seeing this school in action. Uh, it's super inspiring. It's Burundian led, and it's just our joy to be able to be a part of the work being done there. And so, um, if you would consider giving to this project this year, um, we've made these uh, nice thank you cards for you. If you want to give, it's intended to be something that, and maybe if you're going to buy a gift for someone, you could give some money to this, and then you can have this card to be able to give to them, give them something still and say, check this project out. I gave some money in your name towards this thing. Um, and we're just trying to spread the word and get more and more attention to the school. Um, lots of, there's a vendor show happening this Saturday and the money raised is going towards this project. Uh, Crossroads School every year um, raises money for this school. So it's, a, it's an amazing school and I uh, hope you'd consider giving to it um, sometime over the next few weeks. You're, you're going to be hearing about it basically from here until Christmas. So, um, uh, but if you want to give, you can go through our website um, and the offering, you can, you can mark it towards that. Um, and then we'll make sure that you get one of these. And if you want to give on behalf of someone else, um, just contact us and then we can make sure that we'll give you multiple cards to be able to give that to those people so you can fill in their name. So, one more little thing connected to that. 
if you would like to come to see the school and to see some of the work going on in Burundi, we are organizing a trip in February. And we're hoping to take a team. Um, we're going to see the, the work being done there. Um, the vision for this trip is that you would catch a vision for the work being done in that country and that we'd continue to build relationships with our partners there. We don't want our partnership to be something that's just financial and we give and uh, we're not actually getting to know them. So we want to keep on sending teams there um, so that we can keep um, learning from each other, have mutual blessing, and, and really that you would catch, just catch a vision for, for everything that God is doing um, in that country. And so it's always transformative um, time to go there. And so we're excited to be taking another team. And so we'd ask that you'd be praying already that you would, um, if you're interested in being a part of this, if you feel like this is something God's kind of nudging you towards, um, we're hoping to form the team in the next uh, few weeks. We want to have it finalized before December. So um, come talk to me. I'll be organizing that. So um, you can talk to me after the service or we'll have a sign-up form on our website as well. Um, But, um, yeah, we're excited to be able to provide this opportunity. Um, and to highlight just something about the date, it is uh, over the week. It's the two weekends and the week that has Family Day Monday on it. Um, so it's a little bit easier to take time off work, and it's during a reading week for university students. So um, we're hoping that can make things easier to come. Alrighty then. It's time to get back to the sermon. So, last week, as we ended our sermon series on Jesus' prayer, in John 17, Kevin spoke about having a knowledge of God's love. That's part of the, the prayer of Jesus, that we would have a knowledge of God and, and a, an experience of his God's love. And he highlighted this, this, that the Father loves us as he loves his Son. That this eternal, self-sacrificing love that exists within the very essence of God is directed towards us as well in Christ. And so... When we reflect on that, we want to keep on having that understanding that God's disposition towards us is, is that our hearts and minds should immediately go to that picture of God's open embrace. That he's not looking at us in disgust because of our ugliness, our failures, and our guilt, and our shame. That's not his disposition towards us. His, his, it's one of a father running towards a lost son. It's called grace. That is not dependent on our performance. The great lie of the enemy is that we are trying to earn something that's already been freely given to us. That God is not frowning over your life and you have to impress him so that he'd smile. But as Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I wanted to start there. I wanted to pick that theme up again because over the next four weeks, we're going to be pressing into what Jesus is asking from us. That Jesus gives instructions of how we're supposed to live. And we want to press into that and take that seriously. But as soon as we start pressing into that, there is a great temptation to think, to switch back into the mode of, I have to earn God's love. 
And the order of the gospel is, as we said here lots of times before, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. But what my, my great fear is, as soon as we start pressing into this sermon series, that we're going to reverse that. That I'm, I obey, and therefore I'm accepted. So as I start coming at you today and over the next few weeks, uh, at us to, to, give, to live the life that Jesus is calling us to live, let's keep being aware of that temptation in our hearts. And so, if you want to look at what obedience to Jesus looks like, a great place to start is looking at these great commandments in his life that he gives. And so we're going to, I'm just going to give a bit of an introduction to these today, and then we're going to spend some time pressing into each one of these uh, over the next few weeks. And so, the first great commandment, or great teaching we want to look at is called the Great Commandment. It's in Matthew chapter 22, it's verses 34 to 40, and it's page number, I forgot to look it up in the Black Bible in front of you. This same interaction can be found in Mark's account of Jesus' life. Uh, We're going to look at that a little bit later, but we're going to be reading this Matthew account first. It's become known as the great commandment because Jesus is directly asked, which is the greatest commandment? And this is Jesus' response to that question. In verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. A few things to note here. These are experts in the law. They have been studying the details of the Old Testament almost their entire lives. This is all they do. This is all they think about. And they're trying to think of a way to test Jesus. They're trying to reveal him as a fraud, catch him in a contradiction. They aren't interested in learning from him. They're interested in catching him and getting him. And so doing, they miss the point, except for one person who we're going to look at a bit later. But they miss it. And so Jesus gives this response. And so even if you're here this morning and you're not really, you're not really sold on the whole Jesus is, is God thing, what you need to see is Jesus was smarter than even the smartest people that were studying the law their whole time. They kept trying to trick him. They just studied and studied it. And Jesus, this seemingly normal rabbi who doesn't have any sort of expertise in, in training, is stumping them. And they don't know what to do about it. And so Jesus, here's their question, and he's thinking about the 613 laws, approximately, depending on how you count, that exist in the Old Testament, and he's supposed to narrow it down to one. 
Well, it turns out that not even Jesus can do that because he brings it to two. That's four. Two. Because he knows that there are two ideas that the law rests on that cannot be separated from each other. They're so intertwined that he can't even suggest one without immediately in the next breath commenting on the other. And so he says, essentially, love God with every part of you. The whole of who you are, every part, your mind, your strength, your inner being, everything that is you should be being pointed in love towards God. Should be being surrendered in love towards God. And in the very next breath, he says, love your neighbor as you would love yourself. Jesus has asked for the number one commandment, and he refuses to separate these two ideas because you cannot, I repeat, you cannot understand one without the other. You cannot understand what it means to love God without loving people in your life. And you cannot understand truly what it means to love people in your life unless you love God. It's impossible. And so if you're here this morning and you believe that you love God, but there's no evidence in your life for any sort of love towards your neighbor, you're wrong. You're wrong. You can't. It's impossible. And if you think I'm saying it too strongly, listen to the words of the Apostle John. He says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Jesus is calling us to a pretty high standard here. And he's, he's connecting something that's so easy to just say, yeah, of course I love God, to something so tangible that is loving something that you see as a response and evidence of something that you cannot see. They're connected. And so as we, as we start digging into this over the next few weeks, I want us to seriously ask ourselves, how much love do we have for our neighbors? How much love do we have for our neighbors? Now, of course, there's important questions to ask, like, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. <clears throat> I, I didn't want to say that joke, but I just had to. But it's a really important question, actually, because I think we probably have, in the history of civilization, maybe, this is probably an overstatement, but I'm making a point, one of the shallowest understandings of what love is in English-speaking Western individualized society. We only have one word for it. Love. There's other kinds of words that sort of mean it, but we can love steak, we can love our mothers, and we can love our wives, and we can love sports, and we can love on people, and we can make love. It's, there's this, love, this word love just means so many different things. 
And you can believe that when we read love your neighbor, we're taking in our North American understanding of what this word means and thinking what we know what it means. And so we're going to press into that. Who is your neighbor? It's a great question. Is it literally the people that live on the other side of you? These are important questions to ask, and we, we want to take the time to consider them. But before we dismiss Jesus' call here with all these qualifications of what it means and what it doesn't mean and who it is and who it isn't for, I want us to really, really take seriously and survey our lives. How much of our lives is marked by love for our neighbor? Not just the love that exists in your mind of general positivity towards them, but how much action is reflected in your life as an expression of your love for your neighbor. When Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love God with all of who you are and love your neighbor to the same degree that you love yourself. Everything, really, everything else that Jesus says is is really just a commentary on these two instructions. They're important commentaries, but when Jesus is cornered and he says, what does it boil down to? This is the response that Jesus gives. So this needs to be forefront in our minds as Christians of followers of Jesus. So that's great teaching number one. It's great. Great teaching number two. It's found in Matthew chapter 28. Verses 16 to 20. So this is, this is a little different because it, it's, Jesus isn't asked, he doesn't call it the greatest, but the church has long considered this to be and given it the title, the Great Commission. So again, if you're here this morning and you're checking out Christianity, you're, you're trying to learn a little bit more about what it's about. These are great starting points. These are the things that if we want to be uh, faithful in following Jesus, we are agreeing this is what we're being called to. So it's, it's important because, uh, well, we'll get into it, but it's called great. This is the church has long called it great. And it's probably got the, the subtitle great commission in, in your version of the Bible. And so starting in verse 16, the disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. When Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so, again, Jesus doesn't call this great per se, but there's a lot of reasons why we should think this is a particularly important instruction for us. Uh, it's sort of unique in that he gives his full authority onto the disciples. He, he gives this command in the full authority, it says. This was his, understood to be his last instruction before he ascends back into heaven. There's, there's, a, there's a sense of comprehensiveness to it. There's a lot of 
allness to it. It's all nations. Teach them everything from start to finish. The command is, in effect, to the very end of the age. He's always with us. He's, he's saying this is something you're going to keep on doing until the end of the age. And it's also important because it seems to permeate every part of our life. This isn't a Sunday morning instruction. This is a, as you're going, every part of your life. And Jesus is giving the church a mission. That's why it's been called the co-mission. It's Jesus saying to us, this is what I'm all about. This is my mission, and this is what I'm inviting you to be a part of with me. If you're not interested in being a part of this thing that I'm telling you about, you're kind of missing the point as to why I'm leaving you here on earth. If, if Christianity was just about becoming like Jesus and being with him, why wouldn't we just go up to heaven right away? We're, he's left us here for a reason. And he's saying, this is the reason. There will come a day when this mission is complete and the Great Commission will come to an end. But as long as you're here on this earth, this is my intention for your life. I want your life to be about helping other people connect their lives to me. So that they would know how good I am, what they're made for. And if we're not doing that, we're missing the point of following Jesus. And if we're missing the point, what are we hitting? What are we, what are we hitting instead? The Great Commandment describes what our lives should be marked by. But the Great Commission describes what our lives should be about. Of course, again, we need to ask questions like, what does it mean to make disciples? We need to ask questions like, what, is it, what do you mean share Jesus with other people? What does that look like? Those are important questions to ask, and we want to be asking those questions. But for now, before we dismiss this call that Jesus gives to us, this mission that Jesus places on the church, before we dismiss it with all of our bad experiences of discipleship, with all our negative interactions and pictures of evangelism, before we say, I don't want to be a part of that because I've just had a bad experience with it, before we go there, consider it again. This is the thing that Jesus has called the church to. And if you want to follow Jesus, you have to take this seriously. You have to. To fully understand God's grace and to surrender to Jesus as Lord means that your lives are to not only be marked by love, but that we need to be interested and active in helping other people understand his love. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I command. And so if we're not willing to take seriously the the commands of Jesus, we're probably not really loving God seriously. And so these, these commands and this understanding of, 
of what Jesus is calling to us to is, is so intertwined. In early 2017, my sister persuaded me to do the eight-week challenge. A few weeks before, and if you're from this area, you've probably heard of it. Um, it's, if you haven't, it's a, <clears throat> it's a diet, um, and it's supposed to last over eight weeks. A few weeks before she mentioned to me that we should do it, I had looked on the scale, and I had seen some numbers arranged in an order that I had not seen before. And so with this knowledge, this newfound knowledge of my shortcomings or overcomings, and this new suggestion that maybe this could be a good opportunity to lose some weight together, I decided to sign up. And I did it. I I paid the money. I even paid the money for it. And I went shopping with Bonnie and Briar, and I understood what we were to buy and what to look for and the ingredients list. And by the grace of God, I did it. I did the eight-week challenge with a few minor exceptions while I was in Florida, which is to be understood. But I kept to it. And I began to change. The challenge changed me. I lost about 27 pounds in eight weeks. I felt great. I loved the way I was looking. I loved the way that I didn't feel my belt digging into my stomach as much when I bent over. I loved that I could tie my skates without getting out of breath. If you have a belly, you're understanding what I'm talking about right now. If you don't, I pray you never will. But here's... I need to get to the point. (laughs) And as I was losing weight, people were starting to notice. And you know what? I got excited about telling people about this challenge because as I learned about this new idea called portion control and and the effects of sugar on uh, your body, you know, I was excited because I was feeling the result. It was beginning to change me. And I was excited to tell people about it. When I'm excited about something, I tell people about it. It's just what I do. Later in that year, I wanted to do the challenge again, but I thought I wasn't going to be so strict this time. I'd do more of the 80-20 rule. 80% doing it, 20% not. Well, the 80-20 rule turns into the 70-30 rule pretty quickly, which turns into the 30-70 rule pretty quickly. And as I cared less and less about actually following the ideas of the challenge, its impact on my life, my enjoyment of it, and my eagerness to talk about it faded away. Now, I don't want to stretch this metaphor, metaphor too far. So please don't hear me equating the eight-week challenge with the gospel. But there are some, some, some principles that are worth noting. The more you're willing to be obedient to Jesus in your life, the more of an impact he's going to make in your life. 
And the more you're going to understand his love and sufficiency in your life. Doing the challenge 50-50 or less is terrible because you keep gaining weight and you just feel guilty all the time. Following Jesus 50-50 is terrible because your life doesn't really change and you just feel guilty all the time. That's terrible for you and it's not compelling for anyone else watching. If we want to take seriously the claims of Jesus. If we want to call ourselves Christians and say we follow Jesus, we have to start taking seriously his claims and what he's asking us to do. And we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to trust grace enough to be able to reflect on our life honestly and say, how am I doing? You know, if someone walked around and they said, yeah, I'm doing the challenge, and they just ate bags of chips and they hadn't have any sort of uh, following any sort of uh, principle of the challenge and whatsoever. And they said, really, you're doing the challenge? You're like, yeah, I signed up for it when I was five years old. It's great. You might rightfully conclude, maybe you're not getting the challenge. We want to find security and trust that God has patience with us. And we, we, of course, don't want to pretend like we're perfect or that we, we've got so much more further to go, and that doesn't mean that God's forgetting us. But we want to keep on examining ourselves honestly. Jesus makes some pretty strong statements about people examining their life. That a good tree will bear good fruit. And so let's start looking at the fruit in our lives. Jesus said he came to give us abundant life. But you can only really experience that, the truth of that statement and that claim, if we're willing to take seriously what he's asking us to do. And I don't know why you'd want to settle for something else. Mark also records Jesus' interaction with the teachers, and he, he adds a little bit extra at the end. And so I just want to read his interaction. You don't have to turn there. It's Mark 12. You can just listen. It said, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions.
I love that phrase, you are not far from the kingdom of God. There is no better place to be than right in the center of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is ruled by a king who lays down his life for you. And it's the safest, most exciting place that you could be. And so, Cornerstone Community Church, let's not settle for being far for the kingdom. Let's get in the middle of it. Let's help each other. Because it's the best place you could be, and it's the most compelling thing a watching, skeptical world could see is people taking the claims of Jesus seriously. And so my hope and prayer over these next four weeks is that as we as we just dig into these specific commands and instructions from Jesus, that the Spirit of God would be working in us and and really just returning to the basics of what Jesus has instructed us uh, to be about. So let's pray. So, Father, I pray that you would protect our hearts from from false guilt. You'd protect our hearts from believing that that you're, that you're disappointed in us and that you're frustrated with us. Protect our hearts from believing that your grace has an end, that your, your mercy is bounded. But would you bring conviction? We want to grow. We want to be more like you. We want to experience the life that you say you came to give, that you life abundant. And so would you, would you bring conviction and would you bring strength to press into that? Would you give us boldness? Would you give us the strength we need to overcome comfort in our lives? Things that are holding a grip on our hearts that are stopping us from saying yes. Would you help release that? So as we stay here and as we continue to worship you, Father, would you just even do that work as we proclaim truth about you and as we worship you as your people and as your children. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.